If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on Equity, another big week for earnings as Tesla, Apple, Spotify, and Snapchat all report. And we'll recap last week's IPOs with DocuSign and Smartsheet. Welcome to Equity. I'm Katie Roof, and I have some news. Unfortunately, this is my last episode of Equity. I'm sad to say uh, it's been a great time the past year or so that we've been doing this, but I've accepted a new job, and I'm excited for my new job, but I will miss everyone here at TechCrunch and the Equity team. We'll still have Matt and Alex helping out, and then also Connie Loizos, who's here today. She's been on the show before, and... um, I'll be announcing where I'm going on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. You'll find me if you want to find me. But um, but thank you for, for listening. It's been great. Uh, but um, So Connie Loises is here. Yes. Hi, Katie. And you will be missed. Thank you. And our special guest today is also a TechCrunch alum, M.G. Siegler, who's a general partner at GV. Thank you for having me for your uh, last episode. I feel honored. I saved the best for last. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, big week uh, for earnings. Um not as it wasn't as good as last week. Last week, all the companies we talked about had had earnings that went well, and and we saw their stocks go up and all that. But it's been a mixed bag this week, to say the least. Uh, one of the more unusual ones was Tesla, uh, which for a while had done pretty well in the stock market. But in recent months, there's been some concerns about the Model Three production, their their more affordable car. And um, but actually, the reason, the main reason, I understand that the stock was going down after their earnings is because, unfortunately, I missed it, but Elon Musk had a wacky earnings call. I mean, I think wacky is maybe an understatement. Um, he refused to answer boring questions, and um, he, he, was, he definitely didn't want to talk about uh, the, the tough questions that people wanted, the analysts wanted to ask him, which is not conventional to say the least. I mean, the analysts are supposed to represent the shareholders and, and what people need to know about the company. Yeah, I think he called them boring and boneheaded. And, and I think what was sort of strange was I think I, I didn't hear it, but I read that he had taken a, uh, a question instead from a retail investor over YouTube, which was very sort of Trump-like. I don't know if you guys remember when Sean Spicer did the whole sort of like Skype seats thing and there was this weird backdrop during his pref- press briefings where there'd be some putty from some you know strange you know blog in their living room asking you know questions of the presidency and yeah, it seems like uh, Tesla's had an uh, interesting year. I think it's been, uh, you know, after, like you noted, sort of they've been on a sort of crazy, amazing run from a stock perspective, but they have real production issues. And I think uh, probably Elon Musk's take is that, um, yes, he's acknowledged the issues in the past and he wants to move on from that and talk about uh, what the future is going to be. And he's always, you know, sort of doing these, these misdirection type things to try mm-hmm. to. Uh, uh, get the narrative back into what he actually wants to talk about. But obviously, during an earnings call, that's going to be uh, something you have to address. Yeah, actually, um, there's there's some pretty funny quotes here in this this Reuters article about it. But um, so Eric Schiffer, the head of the Patriarch organization, a private equity firm, said he called it the single greatest CEO meltdown in American car history. He said that um, 
Elon Musk's war on day traders and analysts from big banks is like him being on the earnings call with a suicide vest on and pulling the cord. It's horribly incompetent with investors and results in the stock getting hit by roaring missiles. So he wasn't the only one that made comments like this. But uh, yeah, a lot of people on Wall Street didn't didn't take very kindly to um, Elon's un- unwillingness to answer uh, the analyst questions, to say the least. Um, you know, I don't know. It's definitely an unusual approach. But, you know, Elon came out today and defended what he did. And he's saying all CEOs wish they could act like that. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I don't know why he even does it then, honestly, other than the fact that that, you know, obviously the analysts will want to talk to him, but people like Jeff Bezos don't do the earnings call, right? Like they just, they they deputize whoever it is that they want to talk about, uh, you know, the earnings. And so they, do, they don't actually join the call. You know, Steve Jobs back in the day would rarely join the call. I think Tim Cook does more, but it's, um, yeah, I don't know why he feels the need then that he wants to uh, uh, sort of go on these calls. I assume he enjoys being combative a little bit, as you can see on Twitter and, and whatnot. But uh, but it's uh, it's a weird dichotomy between those two things. That's a great point. But it's also interesting. So what's the bottom line? It was sort of like the biggest earnings ever, the biggest uh, losses ever as well. Right. And so, I mean, the actual the earnings, his actual earnings report wasn't as bad yeah, as people thought it would be. Expected. It was a narrower than expected loss. Um, and so that was one thing that, that people were um, were happy about. But so actually before the earnings call, I think the stock was, was going up. But then after the earnings call was when it went down. So um, their their net loss for the quarter was seven hundred eighty four point six million, or four dollars and nineteen cents per share, um, from a loss of three hundred ninety seven point two million, or two dollars and four cents per share a year ago. So um, it's widened, but it was better than expected. And um, revenue, though, also the revenue went up. So it rose to three point four one billion from two point seven billion a year ago. And that was well above analyst estimates of $3.22 billion. So if it were just based on the numbers, I think the, the, the stock price would be going in a different direction today. But I think ultimately investors also try to read between the lines. And I think the way he was acting doesn't seem confident. It doesn't seem the way someone would be acting when things are going really well. Or at least maybe that's what some people on Wall Street are thinking. But for sure, Elon Musk has a lot of fans. There are a lot of people who love Tesla. I mean, I personally like the cars. Uh, they're very nice cars. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, out We'll see this as an opportunity to buy on the low, and that they'll, they'll say that Tesla will be a good stock in the long run. We'll see. I'm sure I'll get some hate mail for for saying anything negative about Elon because I know a lot of you love him. But um, but Apple is another one of those companies with a cult following, and they reported earnings this week, and um, they actually did better than what people thought. Uh, leading up to Apple's earnings, there was some negativity on Wall Street. Um, some people thought that the iPhone X wasn't very popular. But um, it turns out they um, their revenue was better than expected. They had sixty one point one billion in revenue for the quarter. It's always mind blowing when you hear Apple's numbers versus the sixty point eight two billion that was expected by Thomson Reuters analysts. And um, the earnings per share was two point seven three versus two point six seven um, adjusted expected by Thomson Reuters analysts. And um, the iPhones were slightly beneath um, expectations. It 52.2 million versus 52.5 million, but it wasn't nearly the doom and gloom that 
Wall Street thought would happen. So the stock shot way up after earnings. And now we were talking recently about which company is going to be the first to a trillion. It's looking more and more like Apple because they're they're well over 900 billion in market cap after this earnings. So good good report for them. Yeah, this one was uh, interesting for Apple because it seems like it happens once a year. So I used to cover Apple back in the day when I was a reporter uh, and would cover their earnings, obviously, uh, every quarter. But it seemed like there was a, a at least a yearly cadence of everyone trying to look into the manufacturing um, uh, reports that are coming out and what Samsung's reporting, because obviously Samsung's the one that makes a lot of the screens for Apple, even though they're they're rivals in the actual phones themselves, um, and trying to extrapolate out what the numbers will be, because the as everyone knows, the iPhone is by far the most important thing to Apple's bottom line. And every single time, it seems like that the the reports are that Apple's going to probably have a big miss because of the uh, the reports out there. They seem to uh, defy those those expectations. And you would think that over time, the analysts would learn uh, not to be so caught up in that and think that they have some sort of inside scoop uh, of knowing what Apple is going to do. And yet, the same thing happens over and over again. So to say it always will, of course. Maybe at some point they'll be wrong. But it's it's fascinating to watch from afar that the same thing happens every single year, it feels like. I guess what they sort of underestimated this time was the services component of the business, which I don't follow closely, but I guess that's Apple Pay, Apple, the Apple Store. Yeah, that seems like it's the currently, you know, the fastest growing part of Apple's business, as Katie noted, sort of the iPhone is in, you know, overall slowing down quite a bit, and in some cases even decline, it's just sort of based on when the latest one came out and, and what size it is and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the services uh, aspect of their business is really sort of the most important thing for them going forward as they try to diversify away from iPhone uh, itself. And I think the yeah, profit and they, margins- they have 40 million subscribers to Apple Music, which is part of that. So it, it is a, a big opportunity for them. I was going to say, I think I read somewhere that the profit margins in that business are something like 60% too, which is pretty astonishing. Yeah, do you have an X software. or the iPhone 10? I, I do, right yes. Here. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Is it worth it? The upgrade? I haven't I haven't upgraded. For me, yet. like I use the camera so much that it's worth it. I mean, as long as there's a better camera on the iPhone, I'm going to keep getting the new one because I mean, you know, I, I, well, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I want the iPhone to see every single like, you know, when I'm looking tired, <laughs> I don't know if I really want the iPhone to be as clear as it is. But for the most part, I like having a better camera um, that I'm carrying around. So I'm happy with it. I like the face ID. I, I wasn't I, I didn't expect to like it as much as I do, but it's it's nice to just hold up my phone and have it in lock. Yeah, to me, the um, the camera for sure is is a key part of it. I just feel like this is the device all of us have on us all the time, and it's our most used computing device. So I'm always going to try to get sort of the fastest one mm-hmm. uh, just to be able to get done whatever I need to get done as quickly as possible. And I do like the the iPhone X. It's it's a you know it's a good device. Um, it, the rumors are that they're going to you know have a slightly larger version of it coming out uh, in the fall and. Um, I think I would like that a little bit more even uh, just to, to be able to use um, even more screen real estate for, for all the various things that I do. I mean, I increasingly just do so much of what I do on a day-to-day on that device. So. But don't you worry about pocket size after a point? Yeah, Remember but this one's even a little smaller than what the, the iPhone you know 7 and 8 Plus were. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit better. It's very slippery, though. Like if you don't have a case on it, it's pretty uh, yeah. slick to fall out of your pocket. 
Yeah, and actually one thing um, they said on the call was that the wearables revenue was the equivalent of a Fortune 300 company. So, I mean, that's pretty big. They're, you know, they're pretty vague about their wearables business. So that includes Apple Watch. It also includes, I believe, um, their, their AirPods. Beats, yeah, AirPods, the Beats headphones. And so uh, we don't know exactly uh, what's, you know, the breakdown there. But, you know, Apple Watch continues it, from what it seems like when you see the wearables numbers apple watch continues to do pretty well compared to other wearables out there i have one i'm not wearing it today i see you have one yeah i've <laughs> i've worn it since day one that they've launched it and this is the the latest version with the lte which i honestly never use because i always have my phone on me so like i don't really need uh the cellular service connectivity necessarily um but yeah i mean it's gotten it's slow and steady progress it's nothing each iteration is not like mind-blowingly better than the last so i think if you you jump from the first iteration of this one, it's it's quite a bit better. But it is fascinating that the business has actually become a real business for Apple, a meaningful one, even though, as you noted, sort of for many others, um, this space in general hasn't caught fire. I think the AirPod uh, business seems like it's a good one for them, too. They've talked about it. Uh, they even call it out specifically, I think, uh, you know, this week. And um, I love those things. I use I those things all too. the time. The range is phenomenal. Yeah. I love that I can put my phone anywhere and, you know. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, time and time again you hear, uh, yeah, but that's so, so many people have tried to do that before. Why is that going to be interesting? And then Apple just does a much better uh, version of what has been done in the past, and it works really well. The one thing I would say that they're not doing so well, it doesn't seem like, is the HomePod. And they didn't, they very uh, notably didn't even really rec- uh, sort of call it out in uh, in any of this. And it seems like that's a, that's a rare miss for them. Um, and I think that's, that's for a few different reasons. But uh, Have you tried the, the HomePod? Yeah. I've tried it. Um, I've been to a I've certainly been to an Apple store to try it out, mm-hmm. but I've I've been in a few different offices uh, that have one, and it seems like you know it's a good product for listening to music for sure, and that's obviously what they were going after. I just think it was the wrong thing to go after. I think in our current world of um, you know the the Echo devices and the Google Homes, um, I think that people are getting used to having these ubiquitous speakers everywhere, and the problem is Apple's is three hundred fifty dollars, so you're right. not going to buy one and put it in every single room. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I'm not planning to get one. Although, you know, Amazon, it's not the same product, but they have their Alexa, which has done very well. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it would be a big opportunity for Apple if they're able to get it right. But you're right. I haven't really heard much of a buzz about the HomePod at all lately. They obviously need to do better with Siri. That's one of the bigger problems. <laughs> or, or I always disable down, like Siri. Saying. It just annoys me. I don't want to talk to Siri. But but my parents love that kind of thing. So <laughs> we'll see. But um, another company that reported earnings this week was Spotify. And it's interesting because it's the first time Spotify reported earnings. If you've l- been listening to the show, you're well aware that they recently went public in a direct listing. And actually, that went pretty well. It was you know very unconventional move. It was different than an IPO. They didn't they didn't raise any money, but uh, they were able to keep shares uh, pretty high until their first earnings report, and then they've fallen since then. And that's uh, partly because of disappointing guidance. Uh, basically, their outlook for revenue for this year uh, disappointed analysts. Uh, but for the quarter, what they reported for this quarter was in line with analyst estimates. They um, they reported in euros because they are a Swedish company. Um, they reported one point. 1, 4 billion euros, and that was exactly what Reuters analysts were expecting. Their subscribers, paid subscribers, were 75 million, which was pretty similar to the 75.1 million that that um, analysts were expecting. And so, um, but but yeah, I mean, guidance for the quarter for this upcoming quarter is. Um, 
1.1 billion euros to 1.3 billion euros um, versus the 1.29 billion euro midpoint expected by Reuters analysts. So basically the top of their range is where the midpoint of the range had been. And so uh, that disappointed uh, Wall Street. But, you know, I mean, overall, like Spotify is done a lot better than people expected. Part of that is in some ways people think it could be artificially high because they didn't have necessarily as many people selling shares because they didn't do the typical IPO. And so if there's less shares, and that, that can drive the, the price higher. But um, it wasn't a small offering. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't extraordinarily small, but it was on the smaller side of things. Um, so we'll see if they'll be able to maintain their share price. But for now, I mean, it's, but, you know, as of recently, it's been trading at $160 a share. So that was, that was really great. I mean, for a while, uh, leading up to the IPO, they were saying something like maybe we'll trade between like 95, 130, something like that. Uh, but it, it definitely exceeded expectations. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that means we're going to see more direct listings. I mean, possibly we'll see others, but most companies will want to raise money when they go public. Spotify was sort of in a unique position where they had a lot of money and didn't necessarily need to do it at the time of an IPO. So, uh, but um, it's, it definitely shows it can be done. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to watch. Uh, it's fascinating that the how stable it's actually been overall, given what they did with the direct listing and, and just not a lot of precedent, certainly in recent history for that. Um, but I think it speaks well to Spotify's brand, certainly. Um, and to me, what I look for like with Spotify going forward is just everyone knows the music business is a tough business to be in. Uh, and so what do they do? Um, you noted that like their, their forward guidance might not be that great, but it's like, what do they do to actually change up the nature of what it is that they're doing? Because they obviously do have a formidable competitor in Apple coming up with Apple Music that seems to be growing quickly and, of course, has that billion-plus user install base that they can sort of uh, just keep leveraging to grow into on the Apple side. And Spotify... They seem to be one step ahead generally, um, you know, in their space, and you would hope so, given that this is their main focus, while it's not Apple's main focus. Uh, and so, what do they do to keep remaining one step ahead? Uh, and certainly, given everything that they have to do with the labels. And they've been, I mean, there's been sort of like a drumbeat of announcements from them, which I think is really smart. Uh, they announced they were expanding into Africa and Asia. Uh, they introduced this free app that lets people choose songs from specific playlists to sort of make it, you know, to give people who are using the free app a better taste of on-demand listening to convert them. Um, they have this new tie-up with Hulu where they are offering a monthly subscription of, I think, like $12.99, where if you were just to buy Spotify, it's $9.99. So that's a very compelling offer. So I feel like the fact that they're just continually trying to sort of make their product stickier in ways is super smart. Yeah, that bundling is really a really smart play, especially in our day and age where we all now have these different services that we all have to pay for separately. If you can get a few of those in one bundle, that's nice. Yeah, but meanwhile, competitor Pandora just reported earnings right before the show, and uh, they're doing well. They, they, I mean, they hadn't done well for a while, but their shares are going up because uh, they still have the, more users than people expected. But they're nowhere near the number of paid users that Spotify and Apple Music have, but they're still alive. They're still in business. So, I mean, those are really, I'd say, the three main music, digital music players right now. But you never know when someone else is going to come along. But uh, Spotify and Apple Music definitely seem to 
to be doing pretty well. Uh, but one company that's not doing very well is Snapchat, or Snap as its parent company is is known as. Um, it hit an all-time low after it warned investors about decelerating ad revenue. And decelerating is not the same as declining. I mean, it's, it's going up, but not at the same pace that it was going up. And it's the rate of growth that investors like to pay attention to um, and but um, that's not that's not good <laughs> decelerating ad revenue uh, also their users are growing but at a very small pace Painfully. we're talking like two percent mm-hmm. uh, user growth uh, quarter over quarter so uh, it's really not great um, I mean as people unless you've been li- living under a rock you may have heard that uh, Snapchat's redesign was extremely unpopular. I mean, already they were struggling after Instagram copied their stories feature where, uh, you know, you can post these kind of a montage of your day that disappears after 24 hours. I mean, Instagram completely ripped that off like a year and a half, two years ago. And but Instagram Instagram uh, was more successful at it. But then this uh, redesign just really added insult to injury. And you had people like Kylie Jenner, who apparently people care about. She's a Kardashian or, you know, whatever she is. She she said that she didn't want to use it. Uh, some people claim that that was what caused the stock to go down. But really, it was you had all these users signing petitions that they hated the redesign. It wasn't just her. She was more emblematic of a trend of many people, just many young people that used to be very active Snapchat users saying they just don't like it anymore. And it was sort of surprising how dismissive the CEO, Evan Spiegel, was back in February when this sort of uproar started. He said, you know, personally, I've been using it for a couple of months. I feel way more attached to the service. You know, that's great. But (laughs) your users are trying to tell you something. Yeah, I agree. That's the most problematic thing about all this, even more so sort of than the overall numbers, uh, I think, is because Snapchat basically and and Snap, the the parent company, have have been uh, thriving by their user base, which is, you know, differentiated from maybe what Facebook has in that it's a younger demographic overall. And if they felt strongly that they had sort of the um, the, the the right mindset to uh, to please that user base, which it seems like they have over the history of the company, everyone sort of was very dismissive of it. Obviously, at first as the the sexting app, and then uh, you know throughout its life, like can this actually be a thing? They turned down how much money from Facebook and 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 whatnot. Um, but now, if they are actually making mistakes with the product itself and having to roll those back, that's a, that's a troubling uh, thing to see, certainly for a public company, uh, if nothing else. Yeah, but you know what? So it went public last year, uh, right before we launched Equity. Um, and now there's there's actually a lot of IPOs that are happening again. Um, last week we had DocuSign and also Smartsheet, and both of those have done pretty well. They've both gone up significantly since they, they priced their IPO. I mean, DocuSign, um, for those of you who don't know, that's an e-signature platform. Basically, it's a way to sign legal documents and other documents and a whole bunch of stuff without printing out pieces of paper without using a fax machine do people even use those anymore but whatever not without using a scanner like things that people used like 20 years ago like you know DocuSign makes it people's life easier if they have to deal with a lot of paperwork um so they did pretty well uh, last i checked their market caps now over six billion dollars so uh it's definitely a good good thing for them they've been they were a private company for 15 years before going public. Yep. What did the CEO, I'm sorry, MG, why did the CEO tell you? I know you interviewed him a couple of weeks ago or last week when they yeah, went public. Week. Why did he say that they'd waited quite so long? Well, there were a lot of things. I mean, I think um, part of it is just a lot of 
companies, they're more emblematic of a trend that a lot of companies have been waiting to go public longer. But, you know, he just took over as CEO last year. For a while, they had been searching for the perfect Mm -hmm. permanent CEO. And that search took long enough to really delay things because, you know, you don't want to go public like right after you pick a new CEO. So I think that was part of it. But um, I mean, you know, I think they, they got to a point where their revenue is actually growing significantly. I mean, you don't want to go public at a time when your financials aren't improving enough. And so I think they were able to show enough year over year growth that probably they felt like now was was a good time to go. Um, and yeah, so so far, so good. Uh, we'll see. But they're part of a trend. We're seeing a lot of enterprise IPOs go public quite a few that we've talked about on our podcast in recent weeks. Another one of those was Smartsheet, which is a little bit lesser known, but they're kind of um, various workplace technology, just helping you be more efficient at doing your job. Um, they also did well. So it seems that there's there's a big there's a lot of interest in enterprise tech IPOs in the moment. Pretty much every single one we've talked about in recent weeks seems to have gone well. But uh, consumer tech, that's what we don't usually see a lot of. We've had Spotify, we had Snapchat last year, we had Blue Apron, but uh, really haven't been very many at all when it comes to consumer tech. So. Yeah, and I mean, personally, I'm hoping that uh, that, that picks up a bit, obviously. Um, it's great to have, and, and should note, obviously, DocuSign is in the GV portfolio, so we're very happy about that. But um, uh, but I would hope that sort of the consumer side on the IPO side does pick up a little bit. As you noted, everything is sort of these SaaS enterprise companies, which are great um, and uh, sort of more predictable, perhaps, uh, and they seem to be performing well in the markets. Um, but the the, enter- the consumer-facing ones are much more uh, unique. We already, of course, talked about um, Spotify doing the direct listing. Obviously, Snap is is having a bit of turbulence uh, out there. And so what is it that, that causes a catalyst to turn some of these um, consumer companies actually, actually going forward? Maybe they need a tagline like the, the SaaS companies, which I think is land and expand. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickavet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday. Hey.